Would you go with me this morning in the Bible to 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter? We've been on a series for a few weeks now, and it's entitled, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex? Would Jesus Wear a Rolex? And uh, we'll review a little bit for those of you that haven't been with us. But then we'll go on. First Timothy, the sixth chapter and the tenth verse. It says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after. What did they covet after? Money. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now you'll hear this misquoted many times. People say, well, you know, like the Bible says, money is the root of all evil. But the Bible didn't say that. What did the Bible say? And sometimes folks say, well, that's, you know, basically the same thing. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's possible to have no money at all and be full of covetousness, wanting money. The love of money and money is not at all the same thing. You can have no money and all you do is think about money. Some of the most covetous people on the planet are poor people. They don't have it and they long for it. And they think about it night and day. And they want it. And it's also possible to have a lot of money, but not love it. Isn't it? Is it possible that you could have a lot of money and a lot of stuff, but it not mean that much to you? You not love it. You love God. You love people. You love the kingdom. So no, money and love of money is not at all the same thing. Being poor doesn't make you anything. Sometimes people like to try to imply, well, I'm poor, and that somewhere or another that makes me superior spiritually to somebody that's wealthy. No, poor just makes you poor. Poor don't make you spiritual. <laughs> Poor don't make you holy. Rich don't make you spiritual. And rich doesn't make you prosperous either. You could have all kind of money and be a poor man or woman. Because there's a lot more to prosperity than money. Isn't there? There is no advantage. There are no benefits of being poor. Just like there are no benefits to being sick. <laughs> now I know that a lot of churches and whole denominations have taught something else. But prove it from the Bible. Prove it from the scriptures. Show us the benefits of being sick. From the Bible. Not what you think, not what some preacher said. From the Bible. Show us the benefits from being broke. From the Bible. How does it help you 
if I'm broke? How does it help the kingdom if I'm poor? How does it help the poor if I'm poor? What does it do for God for me to be broke? How does it please Him? How does it help me? But on the other hand, if I'm wealthy, I can do something for the poor. I can do something for the kingdom. I have ability. There are benefits in having resources. Did you know rich people have choices? (laughs) Poor people don't. Did you know poor people pay more? Oh, yeah. Time you pay the high price because you didn't have good credit, and time you pay the huge interest rates. (laughs) Dear me, you pay for it three or four times. And the guy that's got money and can pay cash today gets a deal and pays no interest. Poor people, the people that have the least, pay the most. Where's the benefit in that? Well, there's a lot more you can say about it. But the issue and the problem is not the money. Money can be used to do good. Money can solve a lot of problems. Money can help provide a lot of things. Relieve people. Meet needs. Feed, clothe, shelter. Preach the gospel. Send the word around the world. Money can help and do a lot of good things. Money is not the problem. Tell me what the problem is. The love of the money, the covetousness, is the problem. Now, covetousness, like we got into last week, literally means fond of silver in the old uh, Hebrew. In other words, you know, silver was their money, metal was their money, fond of money, love of money, to long for, to stretch out after, to reach for. A longing for money, for things you could covet people too, the Bible talks about. Coveting, longing for it. And we learn that covetousness is idolatry. When you're talking about poor or you're talking about rich, we need to define some things. What is poor? Poor is not a dollar amount. Rich is not a dollar amount. If you look up the words in the Greek, in the Bible, you'll see, in the Hebrew also, it basically means not enough. Somebody say not enough. And there are all different levels of poor. There are people that don't have enough to pay their utilities, to make their payments. And there are people that don't have enough to sustain their body of food to keep it alive. And there are levels all in between those. But not enough is not good. There's no level of not enough that's a good thing. If a lot of poverty is bad, a little poverty is bad. And middle poverty is bad. It's all bad. I said it's all bad. Not enough. That's what poor is. And if you look up the words for rich... And prospered, it has to do with the opposite of that. What would you think rich is? More than enough. More than enough. Well, that's not going to be the same thing for everybody everywhere. But whatever you need, if you got all you need and more than that, you're prosperous. 
If every area of your life you got more than enough, you're prosperous, you're rich. Now, did you know, and I think a lot of you would know this, compared to uh, millions of people in the world, almost everybody in here is rich. I said compared to millions of people on this planet right now, most everybody in this room is rich. Rich. But did you know, I'm talking about comparatively materially now only, also compared to millions of people on this planet, almost everybody in here is poor. I said compared to millions of people on this planet, almost everybody in here is poor. If you're just only measuring money. A news uh, network recently gave some of these figures. I thought it was very interesting. They said just in the U.S. Now we're not talking about Europe and all over the world. Just the U.S. Currently there are approximately 50,000 households in the U.S. that have wealth of between 50 million and 500 million. 50,000 households in the U.S. There are 125,000 households in the U.S. that have wealth of between 25 million and 50 million. 125,000. There are approximately 9 million, million, millionaires in the U.S., Nine million millionaires, not in the world, in the U.S. Are you with me so far? I said compared to millions of people, most everybody in here is poor. (laughs) Financially, materially. There are 1,000 billionaires in the U.S., And uh, they went on to talk about some of these folk that have, you know, 500 million in wealth, a billion in wealth. It is, uh, they were talking about in one particular place in New York, they said, as far as they could tell, there was certainly no recession over there. (laughs) Because they couldn't keep in stock $100,000 watches. It's common thing for these folk to spend 10 to 50 million on an apartment there in New York. Common thing for the ladies to come in and spend $20,000 on a handbag. Common. Common. Common thing. <laughs> Y'all might have heard about the guy on the news this week that flew his car out of the country to have the oil changed. to change the oil in his sports car. (laughs) Now, why do you say all that, Brother Keith? Because I want to see how you react to this. (laughs) If you say, man, that makes me mad. Man, that's ridiculous. $100,000 for a watch. I could buy a house with that. It's ridiculous. (laughs) 
<laughs> Ridiculous. And a lot of folk just get downright angry about it. Did you know it? A lot of people get angry about it. They get indignant. They say, that just disgusts me. <laughs> well, we've already talked about this. People don't get upset over something they don't care about. Over something that means nothing to them. If you get upset, if you get worked up, why? If you get angry, why did you? What do you care about? You don't know them. Well, they could give that to the poor. Well, we've already been into that in detail. <laughs> and how do you know they're not doing things for the poor? You don't know them. You don't know anything about them. Well, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> you spend $100,000 on a watch. You spend $50,000 on a purse. That's ridiculous. What's it to you? Is there spending $50,000 on a purse keeping people from being fed? No. Something you need to answer now. Is there, is this guy spending $45,000 to get his oil changed? Is that keeping you from getting what you need? Or won't? Are these people spending, you know, a lot of these folks have got 10 different houses all over the world. Cost millions of dollars apiece. Is that keeping you back from getting your needs met or what you desire? Is that hurting you or holding you back some way? Then why would you care? Why would you care what they do? <laughs> A lot of people do. Oh, man, they talk about it. Oh, man, they get upset. They get mad. Now, I want you to get ready because this is some really important revelation right here. People get so upset. I don't mean once or twice. I've heard, I don't, dozens of times, ministers, preachers say things like this. Man, if I just had the money, that guy blows on horses. I could preach the gospel around the world. Man, if I just had her shoe money, <laughs> I could pay off my house. Buy a mama and them a house. I could put a half million dollars in the gospel. If I had his sports car money. If I had the money, they'd just blow. If I just had a fraction of the money, they just waste. There's a really important word there. T-H-E-I-R. <laughs> There. <laughs> what are you doing talking about their money and what you could do with their money? <laughs> Why are you thinking about their money? <laughs> that was worth you coming this morning, right? Right there. I didn't think that up. The Lord showed me that. I know he did. What is covetousness? What is, listen to Exodus 20, 
Verse 17. Thou shalt not covet. Whose house? Thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet what? Whose wife is it? Your neighbor's wife. Nor what? His manservant. Nor his maidservant. Nor his ox. Nor his ass. Nor anything that is what? That you're not. Why? Because it's theirs. <laughs> it's theirs. It ain't yours. So you ain't supposed to be thinking about how it would be to have theirs. Now I think we know this. You're not supposed to look, men. You're not supposed to look at another man's wife and then try to imagine what it'd be like to have his wife. I think everybody knows that's wrong. If you don't, I'm going to tell you this morning, it's wrong. <laughs> you got no business trying to imagine what it'd be like to have his wife. Because it's not your wife. It's his wife. Somebody say, no business. No business. You got no business thinking about their wife or their husband if you're a woman. Well, by the same token, just as true, you got no business letting yourself think about their house, their car, their clothes, their jewelry, their money. And can you see when people say, man, if I just had the money they blow, if I just had their shoe money, if I just had their play money, if I just had, what are you doing? Are you longing for their money? You are coveting their stuff. And the reason why you get upset about it is because you love money. And you love stuff. And they've got what you want. You ought to rejoice. Say, good for them. Well, I just don't think it's right. Well, what is it to you? If they're a poor steward of their resources, they'll answer to the Lord. Just like you will. And whatever you judge, then we've already been over this carefully now. Anything you say that they ought to be doing, those words are going to come back to you. You're going to be held up against the very words you said somebody else should do. You're going to be judged by that, Jesus said. So we ought to be focusing on what we're doing with our resources, not what they're doing with theirs. That's them. So what about their money and what they spend on their dog? <laughs> well, they bought a $30,000 diamond collar for their dog. That's ridiculous. What's it to you? What is it to you? If they want to buy a pooch, his own house. <laughs> what is it to you? <laughs> and if you even dare to think or say what you could do with their money, it's obvious. You're the one with the problem. You are covetous. You are longing after what they have. And it's ugly. I said it's ugly. 
Go with me, please, to Genesis. Genesis, the fourth chapter. Why do people get so angry about these things? Why do people get so worked up? And they do. Oh, man, people talk. Did you hear <laughs> what they spent on that? <laughs> Did you hear about that? Did you hear that? That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Why are you talking about it? Why do you care? Why get worked up? Why get mad? There's a story of somebody else that got mad about an offering. His name was Cain. Genesis, the fourth chapter. Are you there? Genesis 4. This is the very beginning of humanity on the earth. Verse 1. Adam, chapter 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Cain was the first human being born in the natural way. On the planet. He was their firstborn son. And she again bare his brother Abel. And so Abel is Cain's baby brother. They grew up together. Older boy and the younger boy. Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel worked in livestock and Cain worked in the farming. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And we know what his name was. Fluffy. <laughs> and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. Now we learn so many things. I mean, humanity is about as young as you can imagine. Two people on the planet, two boys. This is the earliest, earliest days of humanity on the planet. And uh, they bring an offering to the Lord. Why did they do that? Where did they get this? And the Lord is responding with them personally about this offering. Are offerings important? Yes, they are. Couldn't the Lord have easily told them, no, don't bring offerings. I don't care about that. Y'all just quit that. No, it was his idea. They learned it from him. And they brought the offerings and the Lord is responding personally to their offerings Said out loud, offerings are important. But then also you see this, God does not automatically receive all offerings, even though you bring them. This is something that hasn't been taught enough in church. Even though you gave it, even though you put it in the bucket, that does not automatically mean God received it. It doesn't. Here we see God received Abel's offering, didn't he? And was pleased with it. Cain's offering he was displeased with. Why would he have been displeased with the man's offering? 
Why? What was the problem with it? Well, no need in conjecturing or imagining things. We need to get answers to word questions from where? From the Word. And there are scriptures that talk about it. Uh, without turning there, let me read this to you. In uh, 1 John, the third chapter, you don't have to turn there, 1 John three twelve, it says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So we know what he did and the way he did it was evil or bad. It was wrong and we know the way his brother did it was right. We know that from the scripture. We also know from Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the 4th verse, if you'd put that up please. Hebrews 11:4. It says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, of what he gave, of his offerings. Say it again, offerings are important. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. We're still talking about Abel's offering in Branson, Missouri. Mama. Well, we know what Abel was doing was good and right. We know what Cain was doing was evil and bad. Bible said so. We know Abel did this by faith. And obviously Cain did not. God looks not just at the amount of your gift. We know from what we've already studied, He looks at the percentage. But most importantly, He looks at the heart. Doesn't He? And the heart of the giver makes the gift acceptable or unacceptable. And if you love God, and you're wanting to bless Him, you do the best you know how. And God knows that. God knows if you're doing something out of faith and love, and you're sowing something that means something to you, or if you're just going through the motion, and you don't really care. And when Abel brought his offering, he went through his flock. He got the first and the best. He got fluffy. (laughs) He said, I know God's going to like Fluffy. Because Fluffy won the ribbon at the fair. <laughs> Fluffy is what everybody's been trying to buy Fluffy. Because Fluffy's the best seed stock. Fluffy's the best seed. And he brings Fluffy and gives Fluffy to God freely, gladly. And God said, I'm pleased with that. I see your heart, Abel. I receive it. You honor me. But Cain brought something. He brought something of his crops. But I know from other scriptures, it wasn't his best. I know you put the whole thing together and you have to conclude, it wasn't his best. And God knew it wasn't his best. And God knew his heart wasn't right. And so God didn't receive his offering. But when God didn't receive his offering, what happened to Cain? Go back and look at it. Genesis. What happened to Cain? Genesis 4. Abel brought the firstlings of his flock. Verse 4. The Lord had respect to Abel in his offering, but to Cain his offering he had not respect. And Cain was what? 
very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you wroth? Why is your countenance fallen? What's he so mad about? Do people get mad over money today? Do people get mad over offerings today? Oh, man. There's nothing new under the sun. This has been going on since the beginning of humanity. Why did Cain get so mad? He got so... Let me read this to you from other translations. The Amplified said he was exceedingly angry and indignant. And he looked sad and depressed. The complete English says, This made Cain so angry he could not hide his feelings. The Living Bible said, This made Cain both dejected and very angry. His face grew dark with fury. I think Cain was the original hothead. I know that sounds funny, but his name comes from the word that means lance, like fast moving spear. And it's obvious he boiled over with rage and in a fit of temper killed, murdered his baby brother. When there had never been such a thing on the planet. And why did he do it? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Now if the Lord asks you, why are you so mad? What should you get a clue of immediately? (laughs) I should not be mad. I should be something else. Why are you so mad? If you had done the right thing, this is the English version, you'd be smiling. But because you've done evil, sin is crouching at your door. It wants to rule you, but you must overcome it. Is the Lord telling him, you can still get this right? Is he telling him, if you'll get this straight, I'll receive your offering. I'll be just as pleased with you as I am with him if you'll do what he did. Then Cain, very next, verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the fields. And when they were out in the fields, Cain turned on his brother Abel and killed him. Killed him. Over what? Why did he kill him? Why is he so mad? What did Abel do to him? Why did he kill him? We ain't talking about slapping him, killing him, murdering him. Over what? Over this offering. Listen to this. In uh, Jude 11, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Balaam was a prophet. He was a real prophet, but he sold himself out over money. What was Cain's problem? Covetousness. I said covetousness. The English version says, for the sake of money, they gave themselves over to error. The Living Bible says, they follow the example of Cain who killed his brother, and like Balaam, they'll do anything for money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And there have been untold murders 
and lesser crimes since Cain for the same reasons. Love of money and covetousness. Now, put this scripture up too, please. Proverbs 21, 25, and this will begin to explain what was going on in Cain's mind and heart. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. Verse 26, he coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous does what? Gives and spares not. There are people that covet all day long, and yet they'll never have. Because they are unwilling to sow. They're too covetous to sow. And yet their covetousness grieves them and torments them. But the righteous do what? They'll give. Can you see Cain and Abel in this? The righteous will give. Why didn't Cain bring the kind of offering that Abel did? Because he was covetous. He didn't want to turn loose of it. We know he was covetous from the scriptures Jude 11. Others we just got through reading. Why didn't, you know, we know it was possible for Cain to please God just like Abel did. God told him so. So we know Cain had it. Cain had the offering that would please the Lord. Didn't he? What was the problem? He wasn't willing to give it. He didn't want to let it go. He wanted to keep it. And he knew that's what he should give. And he knew that was his best. But he was too covetous. So he went and got the cheaper, junkier stuff. And gave that. And God said, I'm not pleased with that. But Abel showed him up. Abel showed him how it's supposed to be done. Abel went over there and shampooed Fluffy. Put two ribbons on both sides of her head. Put the blue ribbon and collar on her. Brought her out right up in there and said, God, you know, it's the best thing I got. This is Fluffy. And Lord, I want you to have Fluffy. And I'm not grieving to see Fluffy go to you. I'm glad that I'm able to sow Fluffy to you. And his heart was right. And his love was there. And his faith was there. And it pleased God. And when Cain saw that, oh, it made him mad. Why did it make him so mad? He wants what Abel just got. But he's not willing to do what Abel just did. Oh, come on, can you see this? He wants the favor of God. He wants God to be pleased with him. He wants the blessings of full obedience. He wants the benefits of obeying God all the way. But he's just not willing to do it. He's not willing to give it. He's not willing to sow it. Friends, I think about some of the stuff that has come out, you know, against ministers like some of our friends, you know, in recent times. 
And some of the people that have set themselves in judgments and condemned them and criticized them over what they have and what they've done. And I know, I just know in my heart, because I know some of these people, that you could take all these reporters and researchers and judging preachers and put them together. And they have never done and will never do what these folk have already done for the poor and already done for the kingdom of God. But they don't care about that. They don't want to know about that. And what it is, they're mad because they see these people prospering and they want that. They won't admit it, but they want that. They want that kind of life. They want that kind of prosperity. They want that kind of ability. And yet, they are unwilling to tithe and give and sow like these people do. Their hearts, no, they're too covetous. To do it. Their heart's not there. They're unwilling to do it. So where does that leave you? You want what they got. But you're not willing to do what they do. Well. If you won't repent. All you'll do is judge. And criticize. And find fault. Somebody say not me. Not me. Are there any benefits. To obeying God and living an upright life. You know, I was just thinking about when I was writing this, some of these notes. I mean, all the money Phyllis and I have saved from not being alcoholics. Not being drug addicts. Not having to fight all these lawsuits. Not going through a divorce. Man, we've saved money. I mean, shouldn't we be able to have something nice with all the money we've saved from not being sinners? Are there no benefits to living a right life? If we're willing to step out and obey God more than some others have, if we're willing to sow bigger than some others have, should we apologize when we're blessed more than somebody else is? Oh, come on, can you see this? Abel sowed bigger. He was blessed bigger. Should he apologize for that? But it made Cain so mad he killed him. And if they hated Jesus, Jesus said they'll hate you. And if they hated a man then, his own brother hated him for being righteous and stepping out in faith, sowing his heart. You'll see the same thing today with brothers and sisters in the church. It's sad, but it's true. They want what they got, but unwilling to do what they do. Stand up on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.